everyone, and welcome to episode 179 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. It's Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, and this week, joined by Richard. What's going on today, Richard? Hey, Seth, what's going on? Uh, not much. We actually have a lot of interesting stuff to talk about today. Oh, yeah, Chris Van Meter broke a tooth over the weekend and is at the dentist today, so he couldn't make it, but he will be back in the future, so get well soon, Chris. We'll be missing you. Uh, anyway, for our cast this week, we have a few big topics. Number one, we had a banned and restricted announcement today, so we're going to talk about all the changes and also non-changes that came with the BNR. Then we're going to talk about a big announcement from last week, the Silver Showdown event, which has been generating a lot of conversation and a little bit of controversy in the community and then we might talk a bit about a magic arena update and then of course fish mail so first off richard banner restricted announcement everyone was waiting with bated breath is goblin chain whirler gonna go is stoneforge which was bought out and is like 70 dollars now gonna be unbanned what actually happened when the list came out this morning all right, so uh, don't check prices on goldfish. <laughs> if you did, you're like, did Stoneforge Mystic get unbanned? Turns out the answer is no. Stoneforge Mystic is still banned. No changes in modern. No changes in standard. So Chain Roller uh, lives another day. But Legacy, we have the fall of Deathrite Shaman and Gitaxian Probe. So two bans in Legacy. No changes anywhere else. Yeah, this was kind of a surprising, to some extent, surprising BNR announcement. Um, I think standard, my prediction was that there would be no changes. I felt like that's the direction that Wizards would go. It's easy to forget because we've had so many bannings that that is the default, and Wizards tries really hard not to ban things in standard. So that's not too shocking. I think I would have liked to see Chain Whirler maybe be banned just so you could play Vampires and Merfolk and Sapperlings and all those sweet tribes that get wrecked by Chain Whirler, but whatever we can deal with that for another three months uh as far as modern i'm not really sure like why do you think this stoneforge thing happened richard like do you notice anything that would suggest it being unbanned like in past bnr announcements i haven't seen these big stoneforge mystic spikes why this time was everyone so convinced that stoneforge was coming off the banner restricted list so I, I I knew they were not unbanning Stoneforge Mystic. We did not have a modern Pro Tour coming up. We did not have a modern Master set being released. There's no reason to do this. So the reason, I think, is Jace, 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 Jace. Everyone's like, oh my god, Jace can never be unbanned. He's so broken. And then everyone else was like, okay, it's a fair card. Modern's a turn three format. No one cares. And it turns out the latter was correct. Jace was unbanned. Uh, to sell packs, I think uh, everyone can <laughs> everyone can say that, and then nothing really happens. So everyone's like, "If Jace is safe, Stoneforge must be safe," and the answer is probably. But there's no reason to unban Stoneforge right now. I think uh, when we have a modern Pro Tour or when we have another modern Masters to sell, that's when Stoneforge Mystic gets unbanned. So for now, I think probably safe. Uh, Paulo had a great article about this. Probably safe, but what is the point of unbanning? Because either Stoneforge Mystic is useless, therefore there is no point to unban it, or it is overpowered and you have broken modern again. So there, there really is no point until you need to shake up a Pro Tour or until you need to sell more packs. And we didn't have either of those cases this time, so Stoneforge <laughs> remains on the ban list 
all those people that decided to, you know, buy out Stoneforges and hold on and batter skulls and stuff, you know, unfortunate for you guys. <laughs> I think you're right, but I'm not 100% sure how I feel about that. Like, the idea that the ban list isn't necessarily 100% about the health of the format or what's best for the format, but it's about Pro Tour viewers and Modern Masters. That's, that, that strikes me as weird, but hearing you say that, I think that's true, and I think maybe that means Stoneforge, which I think would be pretty safe. Like, again, maybe it won't... You never know. You are taking a chance. Stoneforge used to be good in Legacy, was busted in Standard and Callblade, so there is some history that suggests that Stoneforge could be very good in modern, but I do think it's mostly a slow and pretty safe card, but maybe we'll be seeing that as we head towards modern pro tour next winter, or we get the announcement for another modern masters set and it'll be the Jace that's going to help sell this set. So I don't know. What do you think about that, Richard? Is that, is that, are we just being cynical? Is that a bad way for bannings to be handled to have these outside factors playing such a big role? I, I think it's the truth, <laughs> whether, it, I, mean, I don't know, like, yeah, it's a bit cynical, but it is a business, and I, I just can't explain the JSON ban. So, like, Jace was clearly there to, to sell cards, and, you know, if you were the optimist, you'd be like, well, they're unbanning Jace, and they need to increase supply, otherwise the price would go too high, so they'll reprint it, right? That That's the positive way of looking at it. The negative way is, we need to sell packs, what should we do <laughs> on ban Jace? And I think it's a, it's a bit of both. And I, I think that is how magic works. And if there's a modern pro tour coming up, they'll want to shake up the format. And this is how they do it. So I, I don't, I don't know that it's wrong. Like, they're not gonna, like, unban skull clamp or something, you know, to make, <laughs> to make modern interesting, right? I think this is a reasonable thing to do, or it could be reasonable. And then pushing pack sales just puts it over the top. So I, I think it's a little from column A to a little from column B. So what do you think about the two changes that actually happened? Deathrite Shaman, Gitaxian Probe, Banned in Legacy, and it is a little more relevant right now than it normally would be because we do have the Team Pro Tour coming up in about a month, so Legacy will actually be being played at the Pro Tour stage, albeit as one of three formats, but still, it's going to be Pro Tour Legacy action. So uh, neither one of us are really heavy Legacy players at this point what do you think about these changes i'm just gonna say nothing happened between this bnr and last bnr to cause them to shake up the <laughs> legacy metagame other than we have an upcoming pro tour <laughs> i'm just gonna throw it out there <laughs> that that was the most convincing argument i've heard that uh you know they want to make legacy interesting for the upcoming pro tour so let's let's ban deathrite shaman and from reading comments it, it seems to be like a fair thing to do. A lot of people have been complaining about Deathrite Shaman. It makes mana too easy. It gives fair decks a free way to hate on things, kind of like Chain Roller. You just get free uh, graveyard hate. You get free life gain in addition to just being overpowered mana fixing and ramp. So that that I can get behind. Gitaxian Probe, I don't know. I didn't really hear this on the list, but add it to the, the long list of being restricted in vintage, banned in modern, uh, filling your graveyard, making your deck more consistent, getting a free storm spell off uh, is overpowered, I guess, and that's where we are today. So, so yay, upcoming Pro Tour and <laughs> format changes, I don't know. <laughs> so, I don't really play that much Legacy every once in a while for a video series, but... 
I've been watching the reactions of Legacy players, and it feels like overall, most people are pretty happy about it. Like, I've seen, I think, overall a positive reaction, and... I think it makes sense. Uh, we've learned that Phyrexian mana is pretty broken, especially attached to actual free spells like Gitaxian Probe, and especially in a format like Legacy, where two life is just not much of anything. It makes sense to see it go, and Deathrite Shaman was just really dominating the format. It was the key card of the two most played decks in the format, a Bug Delver deck and I think a four-color Leovold kind of mid-rangey deck, so I feel like it does kind of free up the format a bit, so it definitely makes a Pro Tour more exciting. Whether or not that was the main motivation, I think it might be like you were talking about with Stoneforge, like these changes probably had to happen anyway. At least Deathrite Shaman legacy players had been calling for or talking about being banned for a while now. So it probably needed to happen one way or another. And maybe the upcoming Pro Tour was just like the final little push over the edge where Wizard was like, all right, we might as well just do this now. Gonna have a Pro Tour. Don't want to see just two legacy decks the whole weekend. So it's definitely gonna make the Pro Tour more entertaining. Yeah. I mean, welcome to our non-rotating formats, except when Pro Tours come around. <laughs> I don't know, I'm just joking. I, I think I think most people are happy with the Deathrite Shaman changes. From from reading reactions from actual legacy players, the very few that are still out there, they seem pleased with this. So so I guess, right? Um did you were you surprised at all that nothing else happened? Uh, no chain whirler banning. I guess Teferi was kind of a long shot, but no Teferi banning, no changes in modern, like ancient stirrings had been mentioned, uh, or was this basically, uh, discounting the legacy stuff, were you expecting the no changes? I was actually kind of looking forward to an ancient stirrings banning. I think that card is ridiculously broken, and it fuels some of the unfun decks in the format, right? If we can't get a you know, a ponder or preordain. Why do we get to dig so deep uh, in green? And you're like, well, restrictions. But the restrictions aren't really relevant because there's so many decks that play around these types anyway. So I didn't really, you know, I really want Age of Stirrings to go because it's just such an unfair card. But Chain Roller to me was the most surprising thing. You know, I thought Wizards would err on the side, but it just invalidates so many deck possibilities. We have Vampires, we have Merfolk, we have Sapperling, all unplayable because of Chain Roller. So, I don't know, right? And, you know, for the next two years, whatever whatever Wizards wants to print, it can't be an X1, as long as Chain Roller's still there. So our real hope is, when Kaladesh rotates, hopefully, hopefully Mono Red is no longer a strong deck, and it's now a Tier 2 deck. And then you can play your vampires and to uh, vampire decks, token decks, whatever, and just hope to dodge the red matchup because that deck is tier two or tier three. And I think that's what Wizards is going for. So we'll see how that that turns out. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure that's what they're going for. I don't know for sure if I think that's what'll happen or not. Like, there's a lot of good goblins. There's still a lot of good red cards in the format. So. Uh, maybe. I, I hope that I hope that it doesn't have to be banned eventually. I think that would be, we talked about it last week, the most painful outcome is everyone builds their post-rotation decks, uh, and then they have to ban Goblin Chain Whirlers. So, maybe. Uh, I can understand rolling the dice and just hoping that the rotation kind of solves the problem, because there is a chance that that works. So, I guess at this point, we just hope for the best. As far as modern, 
the format's super diverse. Like, Ancient Stirrings, I would also like to see it banned, but it's really hard to complain too much. We're seeing lots of different decks do well. We're seeing control decks, like, finally start to make a comeback. Tons of viable archetypes, so it's hard to really fault Wizards for not making any changes right now. Yeah, I just want to say that Red is probably going to be garbage for, like, years in Standard because of Chain Roller now. So they will probably not print very strong red cards in fear of Mono Red being a deck. So, you know, the repercussions of that will last for quite a while, because while Chain Roller is in Standard, uh, you're not going to have really strong red cards. And then when Chain Roller ro- uh, rotates, you're still playing with those garbage cards. So Red is going to be weak for quite a while, I think, because of this. That's That's how... R&D will adjust for it. That's my guess. You're not going to get Lightning Bolt or, you know, things like that in red because they're so afraid of making Mono Red a viable deck again. Yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. I wonder, too, if we'll see... uh, We were talking off-cast a little bit about maybe seeing more or less, I guess, one-toughness creatures, more creatures getting this toughness boost to avoid Chain Whirler. Do you think that that could also be an effect? Like, is Wizards really going to design standard around this card? I think they could. Oh, hopefully they don't go crazy. Like, what do you think about Lanoir Elf as a one mana one two tap to add green? You know, not not quite Deathrite Shaman. We'll just give it one ability, but I can see them doing stuff like that. Or I don't know, like a like a one mana two two, just straight up with no downside, like a Savannah line with plus plus one uh, toughness. I can see them doing things like that to kind of offset the Chain Roller if Chain Roller still remains relevant. Yeah, I could see that too. Uh, I don't think either one of those cards would be that busted. Maybe the Llanowar Elves. I think we're to a point where a 1-mana 2-2 would be fine, though. Yeah, because the 1-mana 1-2 isn't useful anymore because it can't block 1-1s. But like, there's no 1-1s to play because a Chain Roller. So it, like, it all balances itself out, right? <laughs> yeah, in the end, it all works out. <laughs> Uh, so any other banned and restricted announcement thoughts, Richard, before we, we move on? Are you, we have the Pro Tour coming up in a month, are you any more or less hyped based on these changes, or is it just kind of like, yeah, whatever, like, it'll be, it'll be the same either way? Uh, I, I don't know, because we have, we have M19 coming up, so standards about to change anyway, so I, I think it doesn't really matter. I mean, you just can't play vampires and merfolk and stuff like that but we have m19 to to shake up standards so we'll see where we fall on that all right so let's move on and talk about something that's actually connected to the upcoming pro tour 25th anniversary and that is the special event called the silver showcase so richard why don't you tell everyone first off what the silver showcase actually is all right it is a special tournament featuring eight players a hundred and fifty thousand dollar prize pool so very high uh ev per person and it's a rochester draft so if you didn't watch grand prix vegas where they had a rochester draft of beta but it was so successful they're doing it again so now we have three packs of beta one pack of arabian nights one pack of antiquities one pack of legends so rochester draft is you open a pack everyone sees the contents and then you take turns picking cards out of the pack and basically they are inviting four magic pros based on their lifetime play points play points or lifetime pro points and then four other people so the four magic players are Raphael Levy, Shuhei Nakamura, John Finkel, 
and then Paulo Vitor Demoderosa. And then you have uh, Hearthstone players or famous players of, of other note that are also Magic players. So you have Brian Kibler, Hall of Famer, now Hearthstone streamer. Stan- Stanislav Sivka, if you remember, he was the one with the eggs deck in Modern, which ironically KCI is doing well now. But uh, he became a Hearthstone streamer, I believe. You have David Williams, poker player, also Master Chef runner-up, I think. <laughs> yeah. he, he finished pretty high. And then you have Amaz, Hearthstone streamer, who's uh, been invited to promotional things. I think he had the invitate, uh, the invitation to the Pro Tour last time, the special invite. So eight players, Rochester draft, hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars, three beta, uh, antiquities, legends, and Arabian Nights, and then the the open the the cards they open will be sold off for charity, so they don't get to keep their cards, but they do have a hundred fifty thousand dollar prize. So, so this event, there's a lot to unpack here. I we were at Vegas, we got to see the beta Rochester draft, and it was awesome. That was one of the highlights of our week out in Vegas. It was a really cool event. So I can understand Wizards wanting to capitalize on that, celebrating the 25th anniversary, doing the silver showcase thing. All that part makes a ton of sense. I think that the magic pros that were invited also were pretty like dead on. The selection criteria of having the highest pro point earners from lifetime for various regions. That's all fine. The main thing that sticks out is the Hearthstone people. Not only Hearthstone people, but these are Magic players that very publicly left the game because uh, they couldn't make as much money in Magic as they could in other places. Uh, So it seems odd to me that Wizards is, it feels like they're rewarding people who essentially walked away from the game for the competition, more or less. And I'm not really sure how that jives with a 25th anniversary celebration either. Like, if you're trying to celebrate the the history of the game, you could have uh, Kai Booty, Gabriel Nassif, there's so many players that uh, are still part of the Magic community and so important to the history of the game. More so than... I mean, nothing against these people. Dave Williams, I like him. He does play on Pro Tours. Uh, Stanislav Zivka, he won a Pro Tours. Oh, nothing against them, but there's people that I would feel are still in the Magic community and probably way more historic and deserving of these slots, though. But maybe that's just me. What do you think about the player pool for this event, Richard? So I think... So it is awkward because you have mixed kind of Magic players with... I guess let's call them promotional players. So it's obvious what Wizards is trying to do. Wizards is trying to tap into the fan base of these other people, right? That's that's why these other people are here. However, I don't know if showcasing a beta <laughs> Arabian Nights <laughs> Antiquities Legends Rochester draft to Hearthstone players is where you want to be. And that is my biggest complaint about this. You know, we... We have uh, pay the pros hashtag, and we know that pros are underpaid. I think BBD in his article wrote that he's the 15th ranked player in the world, and his best case scenario is break even. Like that, that is like a travesty, right? And that is why these players have kind of left the game. Like Kibler is very vocal about this. Like Moto sucks. He quit after uh, was it like a PTQ or something that crashed you know, 15 rounds in or something, and they're like, hey, have your five bucks entrance free back, and he just, like, rage quit magic forever from that point. So that's that's totally understandable, right? 
you can't really fault the man for doing such a thing. He is a Hall of Famer. He is good at magic. He just went to the game that pays more. So there, there's that whole argument, which I don't want to get into. Uh, we can get, talk about that, but I want to focus on the promotional aspect of this. If they are trying to get players to join from Hearthstone, this is quite possibly the worst use of money I've ever seen. <laughs> right? You you may say that, oh, Wizards has earmarked this $150,000 not to not to reward professional players, right? It is a marketing campaign for Magic. I'm like, okay, you know, that, that's that's quite reasonable. You can do such a thing. But why would you show, like, the oldest format that is not a real format? Like, first of all, where can I Rochester draft? At your local FNM? No. You know, can I go to the LGS and be like, who wants to Rochester draft with me? No. Can I play on this hot new platform, Magic Arena? No. Right? Do I want to see vanilla creatures bash into each other? People picking lands above playables and banding. Like, oh, that's going to be a fun time. Let's explain to new players what banding is and how this affects... You know, this doesn't make any sense. If I were to do this, I would have chosen eight Hearthstone players. Just straight up Hearthstone players. Don't even... Don't even pretend, right? Just say, we're choosing eight notable streamers from other CCGs. Have them play a Magic Arena tournament where the prize pool is 150000 that's fine, and slant the coverage to new players. Explain that, hey, you know, in other CCGs, you can attack creatures, but in Magic, you can only attack players, and, uh, you know, the defending player gets to decide how to block. You know, things like that, right? Or we have these cards called Instants, which you can play during other people's turns, right? And kind of slant the coverage to new players and have new players hop on Magic Arena. And that would make way more sense than showcasing, you know, beta Rochester draft, which these people won't appreciate, right? <laughs> like, they're not going to appreciate the iconic value of Shivan Dragon because they're like, what is Shivan Dragon, right? So I, you know, I don't understand. It just seems like they saw kind of the hype and the success of the beta drafts from Vegas and then just like mashed it into this, which doesn't make much sense for Hearthstone players. The beta drafts were awesome, but the people that were appreciating them were very enfranchised Magic players. Like, that's who those events were for. Maybe people that have been playing a long time or are heavily invested in the community and understand, like, the significance of opening a beta underground scene, all that stuff. It, it literally is. If you could construct the literal worst format to introduce Hearthstone players to Magic with, <laughs> it's gotta be beta... <laughs> It's got to be Beta Rochester Draft. Like, you can't understand what the cards do. People are getting Oracle rulings all the time because the players don't understand what the cards do. There's mechanics that never would be printed in today's game. Like, if I was a 16-year-old Hearthstone player that watched Amaz or watched Kibler or any of these Hearthstone streamers and was like, all right, I really like them. I'm going to check out this special event they're doing. There's a pretty big prize pool. That'll be cool. It would make me not want to play Magic. Like, if I saw those cards, I would just be utterly confused. I would be I mean, we haven't seen coverage yet, but based on what we saw of the beta draft at GP Vegas, it's going to be hard to see the cards. It's not like you can read the cards and know what they do even. Not that you know what they do even if you could read the cards on coverage. So <laughs> it's it's just, oh my goodness. I don't understand what they're thinking. I do appreciate the idea of doing the promotional thing. I don't necessarily like that they are doing it as a 25th anniversary celebration. And from what I've heard from 
listening to some of the pro players, it sounds like there were benefits that were cut from the pro tour or things that were negative for the pros. And part of the justification from that from Wizards when the players talked to them was, oh, we're going to do this special tournament. It's going to have a huge prize pool. It's going to be awesome. And then when half of the people invited aren't really Magic players anymore or not at least pro-level grinding all the time Magic players, I think that, like, came across as kind of tone deaf and rubbed people the wrong way uh, based on the entirety of the event. So I don't know. I don't know what Wizards is thinking here. I too think they should do promotional events and I think it could have been really well done, but you don't do it with Beta Rochester Draft and you don't do it after telling the pros you're doing this high EV event to make up for the benefits they're losing and then invite a bunch of non-pro players. Yeah, does it... I don't know. It it just makes... I, I just hope that their marketing budget has a lot more left in it and this is just the first of the Hearthstone marketing events because if this is the last one then this is like terrible like can you imagine like say Brian Kibler in Day 9 uh, co co-casting an 8 player Hearthstone Invitational <laughs> Magic Arena tournament how awesome would that be right and you know, you can showcase all your new effects and everything, but what do we get instead? We get to see cards from 1995 when they show the image of. You can't even understand what the card does because it's been errated so many times. <laughs> you need the judge to reread the new Oracle ruling, and then you need to explain how these old rules actually work. Like, I just... Uh, it just... I don't get it. It's, it's like four enfranchised players, but at the same time, you're slapping them in the face. Right? Like, oh, what about... What about LSV, you know, one of the biggest proponents of, you know, old school magic and playing with the original cards, like he's nowhere to be seen. Like you mentioned before, we have people that are still active, like Kai Bude, Gravisel Nassif, all these people to celebrate the history of magic, you want to take that route, or you can just go full Hearthstone-y route, and they kind of split the difference, and then they have this very mediocre thing that no one really understands why. And then just the negative backlash from it all, like... <laughs> I, I don't know, man. I, I, I'm almost positive Wizards did not see this coming. Wizards was like, yes, $150,000 back to the community. They'll be praising us. Get ready to get the most upvoted comments in Reddit and, you know, get ready, team. And then they're like, oh, no, what happened? Like, I, I think you're oh. 100% right. I think that they... They essentially tried to do too much. I think if they took eight old-school pro players and did this event, it would have been a success If uh, with the current format. Or they could have taken eight Hearthstone streamers and played Magic Arena, and it would have been a promotional success to, uh, to kind of hit on that end. But trying to walk this line between the history of the game, celebrating the anniversary, promoting the game to Hearthstone players, apparently, but with this weird old format. The end result is it just, it made everyone mad. The pros are mad because they feel like Wizards didn't invite them to this event that they were supposed to invite them to. The community's just kind of like befuddled by the whole thing. And then the Hearthstone players are not going to be happy or drawn into magic by watching Beta Rochester Draft. So somehow Wizards, like... They had so many ways that this could have been could have been awesome and been good for everyone, but they managed to like thread the needle and make it a way where literally everyone is upset about this. All right, what one side discussion, which is interesting, that came up from all this is Brian Kibler a magic player? Because he seems, in my eyes, unfairly crucified. Let's let's take him versus John Finkel. Both of them are Hall of Famers, right? So they have been inducted in the Magic Hall of Fame. They both 
kind of just show up at pro tours and big events, right? They don't do the grind. They don't go to like every Grand Prix. They just kind of show up at uh, the pro tours, which they have, you know, free invites to because they're in the Hall of Fame. Yet one man is considered a traitor to the magic community, and the other is like the god of magic. So do you, do you think Kibler is unfairly, you know, lumped as a Hearthstone player when he's a hall of, you know he's a hall of famer? Why is he not lumped with the first four players? Why does why does everyone lump him with the Hearthstone players? He, you know, obviously he's a Hearthstone player now, but he he is in the Hall of Fame. He does have the credentials. He's won multiple Pro Tours. So so why why is this the case? I think I think he is unfairly to some extent lumped into that group which you're you're right there are a lot of comparisons to someone like Finkel and maybe he should be in the above group so I think that's a good point I think it's kind of twofold um for one thing he is at this point he's a Hearthstone player like he does occasionally show up to pro tours but that's what he does if you go to his YouTube channel it's all Hearthstone videos if you go to his Twitter it's 90% Hearthstone tweets and maybe 5% magic tweets right behind pictures of his dog or whatever so <laughs> so I I think he is a Hearthstone player at this point but I do think it is somewhat unfair. If there was one name on the list that is maybe probably justifiable to be in this tournament without the promotion aspect, I think it would be Kibler. I think the other consideration is maybe how outspoken he was. Like, it's not like, like Sifka. Sure, he just kind of, like, won a pro tour, faded away to play chess in Hearthstone. Kibler was he really, like, trashed on Magic Online and trashed on Wizard. Like, do you remember he was the one that wrote the blog post that actually, like, made Magic Online essentially go dark for a couple of months because of a bug he ran into in a Mox event, and then he quit Magic very angrily and publicly? So I think maybe there's still some... I don't know, remembrance of how he left the magic community that paints him in a less than favorable light with the people that are still around. But he saved Moto. He, he he was the one that made all the changes to make Magic Online somewhat respectable, right? Without without his rage quit, we'd be in mediocre tournament mediocre tournaments that still kind of just crash midway through, and you know nothing happened. Yeah, that's that's so true. He, he kind of is the savior of Magic <laughs> Online in that sense. But I don't. I, I kind of get your point. But I, I just think he's just unfairly crucified. He he is a Magic Hall of Famer, and you know you don't. Yes, he does Hearthstone now, but no one calls John Finkel the hedge fund man, or I don't know what he does now, right? But like, you know, that, because that part of his life is private, you don't associate that with him. But because Kibler is a public uh, streamer now, and you see all stuff, you know, you do associate with Hearthstone. But remember, he is a Hall of Famer. He's won two Pro Tours, uh, somewhat recently, too. It's not like, it's like super old, right? And uh, he is an exciting person. And... I agree that we should tap into his audience, and we just need to do a we just need to do it better. I think Rochester draft of beta is not the way to to get his audience to join in because they just cannot participate. Let's say you watched the draft and you were super hyped. You're like, oh my god, old cards that no one understands and they play so well. Like you just cannot play this format anywhere. You cannot copy Brian Kibler and whatever deck he made. You just cannot do it. So it's just a lost opportunity, I think. So so let me ask you this question. Say that the the lineup was the same, Kibler was still there, but instead of like Sifka, Dave Williams, and Amaz, you have 
LSV, Nassif, and Kai or something, do you think there's an uproar in that scenario? Or is the fact that there's four Hearthstone players, uh, like, Kibler's just kind of lumped in with that group because that's what he does now? Like, if it was just Kibler as one of eight Magic pros, do you think anyone would be like, oh, Kibler shouldn't be here? Because I kind of think that no one would. Like, I don't know if there yeah. would would be I, an uproar if it wasn't for the other names. It, it's Watsy's fault. If they just put him above the line and called the previous five players <laughs> Magic Hall of favors i think you'd get a much smoother pass at this than you know watsy lumping him with the four other you know in the the latter four players and basically calling uh, calling him uh, a hearthstone player because they, they literally put hearthstone in the article he's a regular commentator for hearthstone so it, it is a bit of watsy's fault but i was amazed yeah. at like the fact they were mentioning Hearthstone kind of took me by surprise, because normally Hearthstone is, like, the game that will not be named. So I was expecting, like, other digital CCG player, things like that. But they actually said Hearthstone. That's what they did for Avaz before. Yeah. Well, he, no, they did it right here. Twitch's most prominent collectible card game streamer. <laughs> but then for Kibler, they're just like, Hearthstone. <laughs> yeah, he plays Hearthstone. They did it for uh, for Sifka, too. Part of the Hearthstone Global Games in 2017, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. So I don't. Are you gonna watch this, Richard? Last question about the Silver Showdown. Like, it, I'm tempted. Like, I want to watch it because I think Beta Rochester drafts. Like, I'm one of the people that appeals to. But at the same time, I actually like have it in the back of my mind that I might not watch it just to kind of vote with my wallet and show that I'm not happy with how this went down. Yeah, I don't. I mean, well, okay, I'm going to have to watch it because we have to cover it. <laughs> but if I had a choice, I think I would still watch it. I I, I don't know. I, I, I feel divided. On one side, I'm not happy with how this is. But on the other side, like, why would you not watch it? Like, yeah, it's I, I still know, a cool right? event. Like, that, yeah. that's why Wizards has got us. Even though we disagree with it, we'll still have to watch it because it's so rare. And you want to see power being open. But it, I don't know. I, I will oh. watch it and not be happy, okay? <laughs> Oh, one, one, one last, last thing before we move on. Isn't it a little weird that they're giving the cards away? <laughs> like, yeah. it's like a phantom draft. I think that actually takes away from the fun of it. I would have rather had them donate $50,000 of money to charity and pay people a little bit less and let them keep the cards. Because I think, like, when you open a Black Lotus in Vintage Cube on Magic Online, that's not the same as when you open it in a treasure chest or something, or a Masters Series uh, booster pack or whatever, and you know it's going into your collection. So I think... Uh, that was what made beta so ex uh, the beta graph so exciting. Is like, oh my god, Ben Stark has like fifteen thousand dollars worth of cards that he's opened. Like this is absurd. But if you're like, oh, like Ben Stark opened fifteen thousand dollars of cards that they're gonna gather up after this draft and give to charity. Like, yeah, does that have the same level of hype? Yeah, super awkward for a couple of reasons. Because a there's no hype of rare drafting your beta islands over you know <laughs> random crap you don't want in your deck. Uh, it, it, you know, the excitement's kind of gone. Now you're just playing basically like Moto Cube or something. You're like, okay, Black Lotus, sure, whatever. It's not the same as like an actual real Black Lotus that you get to keep. But two, doesn't this mean Watsi acknowledges secondary market prices somehow? Like, oh, wait, like, what? what you know, they got to sell these cards, right? They can put it on auction. <laughs> I guess they could put the spin that, oh, it was from a one-time event that therefore increases the value of these cards. I don't know. Because I know during the Vegas draft, which we didn't actually watch uh, with coverage because we were there live, they were saying, they weren't saying, oh, this is like a crazy expensive card. They're saying it was a chase card or a very yeah. collectible card or, you know, stuff like that, right? <laughs> 
they're gonna yeah. have to do the same thing here but later when they auction these off to give to charity like they're just gonna ignore the price like i don't i don't know it seems weird like clearly they're not like we're giving ten dollars to charity because that's the msrp of a beta pack right? yeah. <laughs> like, I, I don't know what they're doing so it's interesting how they skirt this line again with the yeah. prices I hadn't thought of that aspect, but that's a really good point. It does kind of back them in the corner where it's going to be hard to not talk about prices. Oh, man. All right, so we have one more topic before we get to fish mail, and that is just like an hour ago, we got a Magic Arena update with some changes that are coming July 11th, I think, July 12th. So uh, do you have the rundown there of some of the big news, Richard? All right. M19, coming July 12th. No downtime. Everyone gets three packs for free. And then there'll be a a new player experience, uh, which is, I guess, a tutorial or something. And as you go through them, you also get some free packs and starter decks. So so, some more free stuff on the way. Uh, No wipe, this update. Uh, New invites coming July 20th. So you can invite your friends now. Uh, Wildcard changes. So now... They're going to have, I guess, kind of like the pity timer where after a certain number of packs are open, you're guaranteed a wild card. So you no longer have to guess when a wild card is coming. And they're mucking around with the vault. I don't really understand what they're doing. But <laughs> but basically, right now, when you open the vault, you get 3% vault. Uh, sorry, when you open a pack, you get 3% vault progress. And then duplicate cards add a little bit more. They're changing it so that you no longer get that flat 3%, but when you get a duplicate card, it adds more. So this is to presumably solve the feel-bad of opening your fifth Hazaret and getting, you know, 1% vault progress. You presumably now will get a lot more, but they haven't released details on that. But it sounds like they've kind of just reconfigured the numbers a bit more, and they didn't really give you, you know, anything more kind of from an EV perspective. They're just changing it around so that it's more predictable and you don't feel as bad opening that fifth mythic. Yeah, I think they actually said that pretty directly in the video. There's like a a seven-minute video where they're talking about this stuff, and they pretty much just said like the actual rates of wild cards isn't significantly changing. It's more just like a reshuffling, hopefully making it more consistently. So I don't know. I feel like it's not going to happen. I know it's not going to happen, but I keep hoping for more than a reshuffling with the economy. Like, I feel like that's still, I feel like that's still a sticking point And one of the issues that I really was hoping would get solved, uh, apart from being a little disappointed in that, I mean, the other stuff's fine. Uh, I, I think course at 2019, giving people three boosters, definitely a good reminder that the Kaladash situation was an exception where they're just like, hey, you get all the good cards from Kaladash. Like that was an exception rather than the rule. And we shouldn't uh, expect that moving forward. Having new player tutorials, definitely good, necessary. They should be doing it. So I don't know what stood out to you, Richard. Uh, So no wipe. A lot of people were scared of a wipe coming with M19, but that would be pretty bad because if they wiped you'd have to recollect all of you know uh kaladesh in the rotating set so if anything the wipe would come with guilds or uh with the actual release and wild cards and vault progress i think it's fine i i don't know that it changes anything i think it changes how you perceive it but if you play long enough i don't know that it makes a difference right now i'm at like 300 vault progress so I actually have a, a good story for you, Seth. So you saw me crack my vault at Grand Prix Vegas, right? Mm-hmm. So since then, I've accrued 400% vault progress. 
and Jeez. that's that's just doing Dominaria drafts and now Hour of Devastation drafts. And I have spent zero additional money. So to start with, what I did was I bought that bundle, and then I think the leftover is how many gems do you get left over from that after you buy the packs? Oh, yeah, it's like three thousand uh, gems, something, something. two thousand maybe. Yeah, yeah, two thousand gems. So. From those 2,000 gems, which is roughly three drafts, and then whatever gold I accrue from uh, the daily quests, I've been able to draft, I'm going to say, like, 20, 25 times. So I, I've, I did a ton of Dominaria drafts. I almost have a full collection. I did a ton of Hour of Devastation drafts. And it, I, you know, I got almost a full collection of that. The biggest problems I see are waiting for the set you want to become available. <laughs> so I need Rivals of Ixalan lands. But I can't draft rivals, so just waiting for that kind of sucks. And then I'm bottlenecked on rare wild cards. I'm actually swimming in mythic wild cards now. But if I yeah. want to build any kind of deck, like let's say you want to build a two-color deck, you need like 10 rare lands to, to get going for just a two-color combination. So you get bottlenecked seriously on rare wild cards very, very quickly. I have basically infinite uncommon and commons. And mythics are still bottlenecked, but not as bad as rares. Yeah, I'm I'm actually at almost exactly the same point as you, where I have, like, a, enough mythics that I'm not really pinched on them. I have more, like, when the next set comes out, I could just, like, craft all the uncommons and commons in M19, <laughs> I think, if I wanted to. But I have, like, zero rare wild cards. Like, that is that is the pinch. One thing I wanted to ask you, and I, I don't know if I'm reading this right. So they're changing it away from adding vault progress when you open a pack. You used to get 3%, I think, roughly, vault progress just from cracking a pack, which included drafting. So you crack your draft pack, that's going into the vault. Do you think that drafting is going to add towards these new deterministic wild card counters, even though draft packs don't contain wild cards? Like, it's impossible to open them. Like, does this change make drafting less valuable? Because it's not filling in the vault, and we don't necessarily know if it's giving you progress towards a wild card, since there's no wild cards in those packs? Yeah, I would hope not. I think I think it would still work. I, I okay. think their goal is to shift everything around, not to add or take rewards away from us. So if they did it correctly, I think it should still all work out. Like I said, like if you play let's say 10 hours a week or 20 hours a week or you know some something that falls into quote unquote a lot i don't think these changes impact you at all because over the long run you should have the same ev and it should be the same amount it's really like you open one pack you get your fifth wild card and then you feel super terrible like i think it's for that case or if you only open say five packs and you have a bad running and you don't get the wild card you want this would fix that but if you open 100 packs like the probabilities will even out and you'll get the right number of wild cards. So I really think this is for kind of the how you feel immediately after opening a single pack. Yeah. Uh, well, hope, I mean, that's what it sounds like, that it's just a reshuffling. And being more consistent is a good thing. Like, the randomness of opening a bunch of packs and not knowing, like, oh, I could get that wild card. I really need the very next pack. Or it could be 15 packs from now. And I got to keep spending money buying more packs to get that one wild card I need. I still hope the biggest change, or one of the biggest change, I would love for them to just give you the rare lands. Like, I think having to craft... The 
the rare lands and spend wild cards on them feels really bad. Having to play without them makes your deck very bad and feels really bad. So I almost wish that they would just make the mana base free, just like they do with basic lands. Like, all lands are free. Uh, yes, that's making them slightly less money because you're not crafting them. They probably won't go for it, but I think that would lead to a lot less feel-bads with that change. Yeah, have you seen my budget control deck set? It's <laughs> terrible. <laughs> I tried building Esper Control, and I didn't want to craft, like, the 20 lands I needed, so I started using all the tapped lands, and oh boy, <laughs> did that feel bad playing. Uh, <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Oh man, so anyway, let's move on from Magic Arena and close things out today with some fish mail. Alright, if you have questions, send them to the hashtag MDGFishMail. Uh, at MTG Goldfish on Twitter, and we'll get to your questions. So, Sebastian Tans, do you think Enlightened Tutor, Worldly Tutor, and Gamble would be safe for modern? I think Mystical and Vampiric are too strong. Um, I'm gonna say no. Maybe Worldly? I'm gonna say no across the board. Worldly is the one I think would be closest to being safe, but... Yeah, I think that cheap tutors are probably something we don't want in modern. Yeah, we we have green-based combo decks. You really sure you want worldly tutor <laughs> available? Gamble is way too strong. I think, uh, you know, sometimes you get the, the bad gamble where you have seven cards and discard the thing you wanted, but usually gamble's pretty good. And I think Enlighten's also too strong. Basically, no tutors. You can get uh, only, only three plus mana tutors non-instant speed, I think. Yeah, I think I think that's where you want to be with modern. Alright, Snare Johnson 664, would one red mana, one blue mana, counter target spell, be fine in standard because of the tricky mana cost, or is it still too good? So an is it counter spell, just blue-red counter target spell. Um... I'm of the belief that counter spells at least very close to being fine, so I'm gonna say yes, but I think I I might be in the minority by thinking that, but I'm gonna say that that would be okay. Uh, too good. I mean, if you think counter spell is too good, I think this is too good. Getting one of each color mana is not that difficult, so I, I don't think that would be a downside. Because you can just play one normal land, one dual land, and then you have the mana needed. So if Counterspell is not good, this is also too strong. Yeah, I don't even, like, it limits the number of decks it can go in, but I don't even know if it's really harder to cast than Counterspell. If, if anything, blue-blue is probably harder to cast yeah. than blue-red, I think. <laughs> uh, Flying Zebra, I want to buy Foil Chromium the Mutable for Commander. What are your thoughts on Legendary Mythic Foils and when to buy them? Oh, man. So I know a big thing with legendary mythic foils is magic online redemption and that usually kicks in uh, man a month or six weeks after the set releases so i think you want to wait at least that long because that is a really meaningful amount of the supply of foil mythics is uh, is coming from magic online redemption so i would be waiting until uh, guilds of Ran uh, guilds of ravnica time around when guilds releases that's when i'd be looking to start picking those up all right kyoji takenochi my pros and cons of the Commander Championship. So this was the, the event at Vegas. Uh, one, you were paired in pods. Uh, it was not perfect. Two, 90 minute rounds, just long enough for a quick match. Uh, oh, I guess those are the pros. The two, the cons, too many combo decks, just wanted to win it all. Five rounds is too long. Uh, should start at 10 a.m. And then three, end of round was too long. Yeah, I actually talked to some people at Vegas that were saying that because 
uh, of the way the rounds ended, I think you went around the table once or something, and there were some like 20 minute combo turns that made the round. And all you need is one table that's doing that to push everyone back to, uh, as far as the next round's going. So I feel like they did a good job with attempting to incentivize people to play fun decks. There was like voting on the coolest deck at the table, and that there was a prize for that. So I feel like they tried, but. I don't know if there's any way to really make that format work. I don't know if you can run a tournament with a meaningful prize for winning the tournament and expect people not to go and try to combo off and kill people and win the tournament. Yeah, I think they what they should have done was uh, give an equal prize to all the players and then whoever accumulated the most, whoever played the most, I guess, wins the grand prize, I think. Because the biggest complaint I heard from talking to players at Vegas was someone played a deck that was too strong. And if that happens, I don't see how voting for the cool deck works, because if someone just combos off on turn three before you've done anything, how can someone vote your deck to be the coolest? So I think that was a problem. So taking a casual format and adding prizes, I think, just has issues. So I think just flat entrance and your prize is playing, right? Like, I mean, that literally is supposed to, that's, that's what's supposed to happen in a casual format. The fun you derive is not from winning, but from, from participating and playing. And that would encourage, you know, off the wall fun things rather than trying to cutthroat kill everyone. Yeah, I definitely talked to some people that intentionally or at least didn't really try not to lose the first round. So they would get in the loser bracket with all the other people that lost and be able to play fun games. That's where then you get the tier 1.5 decks beating up everyone. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Bash Brashley, first time writer, long time listener. I noticed Scry 4 isn't on magic cards. What would the CMC of an instant that just reads Scry 4 be? Um one yeah I, well, it's gotta be one right two is so expensive you wouldn't do this but would you even play it at one is it good enough maybe if you were playing like a miracle style deck or had some sort of like top of your library synergy but in general no i don't think you just play it as a random cantrip yeah i think it's too it's too expensive oddly enough at one mana <laughs> like the, the card it costs is not worth the scry for so i think it does need to cantrip and if it cantrips it's too good <laughs> see ponder something similar to that so but just as raw scry for so so for one mana how big does a scry need to be for you to play it in a generic blue deck that doesn't need the synergy man jeez it would have to be enough that it was like a a vampiric tutor essentially 10 <laughs> like like if you could just like is that too good then <laughs> isn't yeah, that literally vampiric tutor without the life cause <laughs> yeah i guess that i guess that is true uh eight i don't like dig through time level seven like uh, maybe something along those lines yeah i could see maybe even five like the card doesn't so if you dig for a card that can two for one your opponent it offsets this right so if your opponent is playing an aggro deck and then you end of turn scry five into a wrath of god that's totally worth it for you so how big does a scry need to be so that you reasonably hit that wrath of god i mean the other thing to consider is index is a card like it doesn't scry but it lets you look at the top five and reorder them so if your goal is just to like find the best of your top five cards uh, index does do that for one blue mana and no one plays index oh, i guess that's true so it has to be like six seven yeah i mean i there's definitely value to moving cards to the bottom because you're setting up your second and third and fourth turn but ugh, 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I think it would have to be six or seven, probably, to have a shot. All right. Next question. K Frizzle, can you add Arena Singleton as a format? Yes, we can. And I will do that after the podcast. How, how, how is Arena Singleton, Seth? I know you've played it. What, what is your quick take on the format? Uh, well, there is a Goldfish Gladiator video going up tomorrow featuring the format, so check that out. But I found it to be really fun. It's like this weird mixture between, like, Standard and Commander, but with Standard rules. So if you're tired of playing, like, Control and uh, Mono Red Aggro in the Standard decks, I think I played maybe I played nine matches or games and played maybe eight different decks, including some like far out janky four color Panharmonicons and Madrotha decks and stuff. So I thought it was actually really fun. All right. Psykethi, if dual lands weren't on the reserve list and never had been, where do you think their price would sit nowadays? Well, I think they would have been reprinted many times and would probably be probably be like Shocklands, maybe slightly above Shocklands uh, as far as prices. I think obviously the Black Border ones would still be expensive as collectibles, uh, like the original Alpha Beta ones, but I think the reprinted versions would be uh, relatively cheap. Let's say they weren't reprinted, but they had the ability to reprint them. So everyone is in fear of the reprint, but they still want them. So there would be no buyouts, or the buyouts would be a lot less. And you had the fear of reprint on you. Oh, jeez. I think that would lower the price. I think that would actually... Yeah. I think that would lower the price quite a bit for the revised versions. Maybe half of their current price? Interesting. I think it'd be a lot less. I, I think the fear of reprint versus no one actually using these cards. Because right now, as you when you buy them, unless you play Legacy or, I guess, Commander or Vintage, you really have no use for them. So a lot of people just buy them to squat on them because they're on the reserve list. So you would kind of remove those people... And then if you're not actively using them, you run the risk of getting reprinted at any time. So I think they'd actually be a lot lower. Uh, Kyoji Takenochi, I think it's time for Mox Opal to leave Modern. Uh, it might. I mean, that's been a card that's been near the top of the discussion for a while now. And uh, maybe. What's, our, what's still... our hit list currently? So of cards to be banned or unbanned, you have Ancient Stirrings, Mox Opal... Stoneforge Mystic. <laughs> Those are the three most likely to switch positions on their BNR status. I actually think the fact that Ancient Stirrings is at the top of the list means that Mox Opal is less likely because they kind of go in the same decks. And I think that I think that if they ban Ancient Stirrings, then Mox Opal probably lives for a while longer. So I would go Ancient Stirrings, uh, Stoneforge Mystic being unbanned, and then number three. Ugh. I'm not 100% sure what I put at number three on the list. What else is there? Um, maybe... Hmm. Blood Moon. No. How about, Definitely... how about Snaring Bridge? I don't think Blood Moon or Snaring Bridge see enough play to really be at the top of the list. Like, if they ever were... If Snaring Bridge was ever, like, the dominant deck in the format for a long period of time, then maybe. But I just don't think it's heavily played enough to really merit a spot on the list uh next question canadian crawler i noticed that stock burn lists now include wild nacodle and tarka's command in the main board is this to combat humans would anger the gods be good to sideboard in against them uh to sideboard in against burn no, no. Um, to side well, in against humans as the burn deck oh uh well Yes, Anger of the Gods is very good against humans, assuming you don't get Meddling Mage or Freebooter, but it is very good against them. I don't know if I want to play Wild Nakato and Anger of the Gods. It's a little awkward. Isn't there a better Anger? Um, there's the three-mana one that 
either kills everything, like does three damage to everything, or does three damage to each player. Wouldn't you run that over the exile? That might be better. Yeah. What is mm. it? Oh, Slagstorm. Slagstorm. Yeah. Yeah. That might be a better option for a burn deck because the three damage might be relevant sometimes. Yeah. Um, Benjamin with I. What do you think will happen to Chandra Torture Defiance? Uh, price after rotation, stay the same. Big drop, small drop, uh, big small increase. Trying to get a playset for modern. I think because of the Challenger deck copies, definitely going to be a pretty pretty meaningful drop down to under ten dollars for sure. All right, uh, Reginald. No Stoneforge Mystic unbanned. Any thoughts on the future of these buyouts based on pure speculation? Also, sadness for my aspiring Cauldra deck. <laughs> uh, Tomer would be so disappointed. Um, I think that we've seen this a lot of times would be in our announcements. We saw it with Bloodbraid Elf for a long time. Almost every BNR announcement being bought out. So I think that... Uh, I would not be surprised to see it continuing to happen with Stoneforge Mystic. I think that's at the top of the buyout list now. And uh, just don't don't fall prey to it, I guess. Yeah, I, I think uh, as time goes on, the buyouts get stronger and stronger. So I think the next BNR we get, you'll see the price increase even more. Because there is some price memory. It doesn't always drop back to where it was before. Uh, so it's just going to get worse and worse. So I guess... If you wanted these cards, you should have bought them a while ago, because I think it's just going to get worse and worse, and unfortunate, unfortunate for everyone else, like, you know, Stoneforge Mystic is not ban-worthy for a Cauldra deck, so, you know, you <laughs> shouldn't be able to buy it reasonably, but because of this, uh, but the good news is, if it gets unbanned, I'm almost guaranteed, I can almost guarantee you it's being reprinted. So that yeah. should bring the price back down. And I, I really do think that'll happen before too long. All right. Last question from MTG today. With the banning of Deathrite Shaman and Legacy, will the uptick of Reanimator slash Dread Strategies give hope to a card like Remorseful Cleric uh, to see play in Death and Taxes? Also, Seth, thank you for showing the world the way of the worm. <laughs> yeah, Sifter Worm put up a good performance at Nationals this weekend, so that was that was pretty cool to see. Uh, I think Remorseful Cleric's definitely in the conversation. I think Graveyard Hate's important enough that you want it anyway, and if you're playing Aether Vial-style decks like Death and Taxes, it seems like a pretty reasonable option uh, in Legacy for those decks. And like you said, uh, it's possible that decks like Dredgery Animator will increase without Deathrite Shaman being essentially a main deck Graveyard Hate card, so Definitely make sure if you're playing Legacy for some reason to uh, pack your graveyard hate in coming weeks because those decks should be on the rise. Yeah, I don't know how much Deathrite Shaman was keeping back these decks anyway because I've played Deathrite Shaman decks and against Reanimator and Dredge, it is usually not enough. Like, they can play around Deathrite Shaman. It, it, it's like a small percentage increase, but it's not like having a rest in peace in play or something, which they can also deal with, by the way. So I think there'll be a... There'll be an uptick because people will just try it. But I, I don't know how much these decks gain uh, with Deathrite Shaman out. It's just a couple percentage points. It's not like they banned all graveyard hate from the format. 
Uh, so that's all our questions this week. Thank you to everyone who sent them in. If you have questions in the future, send them to the hashtag MDGFishmail and we'll get to your questions on air. Han, I think that brings us to the end of episode 179 of the Goldfish Podcast. So I apologize for my voice. I'm still a little congested getting over this cold, but thank you for hanging out and listening. Richard, thanks for doing it. It's always fun. And we will be back next week to talk more magic with episode 180. So until then, this is the group signing up. We'll talk to you soon.